Nothing old. Nothing old. Nothing old. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. Listen along as accomplished guests discuss success and failures during their journeys as entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors. Bettering your position starts by learning from those who went before you. That learning experience can happen anywhere, in the car, at the beach, or on a treadmill. There are no excuses for where you end up in life. If you want something bigger, the time to take action is now. There is no better time in history to achieve success. The hosts, Brian and Stu, are both Marine Corps veterans who believe life is what you make it. Your place in life is determined by your decisions. If you want more information on the podcast, please check out the website at nothingowed.com. No BS stands for Nothing Owed with Brian and Stu. That's what you're going to get with the show. Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. As always, you're here with uh, Brian and Stu. And today we have a great guest. Uh, his name is Jamar James, former Marine. Uh, he is an expert in Bitcoin, among other things. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about how he got into his current career um, and really everything that brought, that brought him to where he is. And then we're going to end up with uh, some financial strategies and things that you can do in your own life to improve your position. So with that being said, I'm going to turn it over to you. Jamar, how are you doing today? Hey, good, man. Great. Thanks for having me in on the podcast. It's always exciting to talk to the other uh, Marines that are uh, still active. <laughs> Hurrah. Hurrah. <laughs> so, hey, Jamar, let, let's hear your story, if you don't mind. I know, I understand you um, You grew up in Oakland. Um, right. so, yes, yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, I had a typical uh, rags to freedom story. Uh, you know, growing up in inner city, you know, I, I come from a working class family. You know, my mother was a I worked at the post office for 36 years. My dad was a, a trucker that pretty much uh, ate himself and drunk himself to death, you know, uh, driving trucks across, across the country. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be sent to school in San Francisco and went to a private school, taking a BART every morning from Oakland to San Francisco. I was always, you know, surrounded by guys that were working in the financial district, uh, working in San Francisco, uh, going down to Market Street. And, you know, that was an environment that, you know, I wasn't exposed to, you know, most everyone in my family has had a uh, working class, you know, middle class, blue collar type job. And, you know, my grandfather was in the army. Uh, my uncles, they were in the Navy. Um, you know, my dad even spent some time in the army before he became a trucker. And so, you know, that's the financial literacy is not something that's exposed in public schools. It's not exposed in you know, really, even in college, you know, you learn business and you learn economics, but you never learn about financial freedom. And so, uh, you know, I needed to get out of that environment. And, you know, I graduated top of the class, you know, honors, uh, you know, had a mini scholarship to go to San Francisco State. I wasn't going to get away from the area. And I was just kind of done with school. You know, I, I felt like, you know, school wasn't it for me. And I joined the Marine Corps. You know, I went to talk to a recruiter. And it's like, hey, which one is the best? And he was like, uh, you know, of course, I went in the Marine Corps office because I thought it was the best to start with, you know. And, and of course, he was like, yeah, you know, if, if you think you're the best, you want to be in, in the Marines. And then I was like, hey, I don't want to be in the middle of the country, though. You know, I, I, I've lived by the coast my whole life. He was like, oh, that's perfect. The Marine Corps gives you 
we got places on the East Coast and the West Coast, and we're always by the coast. And that's what I was told, and that's what I was sold on. So I joined the Marine Corps, and, you know, while I was in the Marine Corps, I got to pick my MOS, and I told them, hey, you know, I want to learn something with computers. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get in the air wing, in my, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I thought it was going to be the easy route, but I didn't know that all Marines had to go through the same boot camp. And, uh, you know, we, we were Marines first. So when we got off that little yellow bus and they told me that, hey, whoever call, came here and you thought you were going to have an easy job, you know, you're a Marine first. And, you know, and it's our accepting responsibility. You know, USMC in my life stands for you signed the contract, right? <laughs> you, you signed the mother contract. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, you take responsibility. You know, from there, it was like, all right, well, I'm in the fleet now and I want to take responsibility. You know, I, I started getting financial literacy. You know, I joined like a Primerica. Uh, I got a Security 386 license. And of course, you know, I, I never believed in multi-level marketing. I didn't, I didn't want to go market to other Marines. I just wanted to get my licensing and learn about finances. And through, you know, in the Marine Corps, I realized that, you know, when they kept telling me, hey, you can re-enlist, we're going to give you a bonus. Re-enlist, you get a bonus. I see a lot of guys getting in debt. And that was, in, in my mind, that was one of the ways they were able to kind of, you know, convince you to stay in the Marine Corps. Hey, just another four more years and we'll wipe out the debt. You know, from my standpoint, I always wanted to have ownership, uh, ownership of my life, and ownership of uh, financial wealth. That got me into the financial world. And then I started buying, I bought my first property in the real, uh, in real estate while I was stationed in Tustin. I was stationed, uh, you know, the recruiter did tell me the truth. He said, hey, you'll be by the coast. I got lucky enough to be stationed in El Toro, uh, Tustin, California, where, you know, you're close to the beach and you're in the air wing. And so it worked out really well where I think it was the best decision of my life, but it also put me around a lot of guys that were living kind of similar. You know, I was in Oakland seeing the guys on the other side of the bridge living real nice high five and early in the morning, uh, being stationed in Tustin, California, right Newport coast, Newport beach as a Marine and seeing all these other guys driving nice, you know, Mercedes and Lamborghinis. And, you know, we're here serving our country. It opened my eyes that, you know, life, if you understand finances, don't have to be that hard. Uh, one thing I learned in the Marine Corps is we, we take risks and we do a lot with less, right? And so the, the tools that you have, you can do a lot with them. And just being in that environment, uh, I realized that, hey, I have my license. Uh, you know, I'm in the best place in, in the world. One of them, you know, I did a couple of stints in Okinawa, but coming back to Tustin, I was able to go to college. Uh, I went in for computer science. I uh, had my security six and three license. And as soon as I got up to Marine Corps, you know, of course I, I applied for a job at many different places. And uh, one of the places I applied Pacific life, cause I had a security license, um, you know, gave me a job. And I, I was interviewed by a guy that was in the military. He was actually in the Navy and he was like, Oh, you're a Marine. And basically got my opportunity to work. Uh, but then I was working around guys with mutual funds, variable annuities. Uh, I learned that. Um, and I also had real estate. And so the real estate that I bought for like 30,000 in Long Beach when I was stationed at Tustin, I ended up selling it for 160,000. And that was like my first big chunk of money ever in my life. You know, even being in the military, you know, you may get a bonus for 10 or 15 grand, but you don't get a hundred thousand. And so- If you don't mind me asking, what made you decide to purchase real estate in Long Beach at that time? What, what was your thought behind that? Being from Oakland and being from the inner city and Snoop Dogg was hot. And okay. Long Beach was uh, the place, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, I wasn't scared of the, uh, I wasn't scared of the hood, I guess, you know, because I, I came from the hood. So I bought properties there. They were doing a lot of convergence, apartment convergence, you know, converting 
old projects into uh, small apartment buildings to turn them into condos. And they're right there by the water. Uh, you know, the downtown area of Long Beach wasn't that good back then. And so I bought properties for 30000 I mean, my payments were like 300 bucks, And so I could qualify for them. You know, being in the military and you're getting a check for 800 every two weeks as a Lance Corporal, <laughs> you know, you got to buy what you can afford, right? right. Okay. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, the time me buying, I bought a couple. And I realized that my whole four years in, I made more money, the three condos that I bought, than I made my whole time in the Marine Corps. And did you use the VA loan at that time for those? No, because um, there were conversions, a lot of investors in it. I think you okay. had to use it for your first time home. Okay. And it was cheaper to just buy them conventionally back then. Okay. Uh, and so... Uh, no, I got a question. So yeah. there's not a lot of Lance Corporals that are out there investing uh, in the techniques that you're talking about right now. Did you have a mentor? Like who who kind of guided you on that in your enlistment? Actually, so of course, I'm, I'm, I'm a young Marine and I'm hanging out at the clubs uh, you know, in Orange County and you, you bump into guys that are from that area. And, you know, we just befriended a guy, you know, he's in VIP. We have a little bit of money and we're all putting together to get in VIP. And this guy's about 28 years old and he was a, he was a realtor and he was a realtor and he, he lived out in Long Beach. And, you know, I was like, Hey bro, like, you know, and you know, he, of course he's trying to make a sale and sell me, but you know, I go out with him one weekend. He's like, yeah, bro, this is my 20th one. I was like, man, you got 20 condos. And, you know, it was just the environment. Because when you're around other Marines, it's only what the other Marines know. I got around him. He took me out one weekend. He was like, yeah, man, you can buy one. He's like, look, bro, I won't even make any money off your deal. He was like, you know, my dad, he owns a real estate company. And by 31, I'll be retired off of just the rental properties. And he said, like, I'll buy as many as I can. And so I bought one. And then I bought two and then I was like, I have to deploy. I don't know if I can manage these properties when I'm gone. And at the end of the day, it was only like $600 a month. It was 300 bucks for, to actually own one condo. So a 30 year loan on 35,000 isn't that much, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, it, it just, it's like, if you never walk in a Mercedes dealership, you never know that they have affordable Mercedes. You know, if you never walk in a dealership cause you think they cost too much, you never even see that they had any deals there. So that is the environment that we come from is if you never exposed to it, you don't even think it exists. That's a great point. That's right. So, you know, he got me to walk into condos that I could afford at, you know, as a Lance Corporal that's not making much money. It just, it just, it was outside the environment, right? Because in my environment, no one would ever talk to me about buying stocks or getting a license. They could have got me a job at the post office. They could have got me a job as a loan shoreman or, you know, they recommend me go in the military like the rest of my family members did. But no one told me that, hey, you get into real estate or you get into stocks and, you know, options and you don't even have to work. You just have to, it's timing is when you buy. So, now, was your, was your plan for those houses? Did you had, did you have plans to rent them or you plan to, to just flip them? Or did you have any plan for those? What were you thinking? Uh, I was thinking I was going to live in one once I was done in the military. It's like, hey, once, once I'm out, I have a condo by the beach in Long okay. Beach. You know, so I, I knew that after about, the second year I was getting out of the military. So I was like, hey, well, when I get out in a couple of years, I'll at least have a place that I, I paid and I didn't want to leave this area. But when I got out and I realized that, you know, I had about a hundred thousand equity just in the four years I was there and I had three of them, you know, I, I had a, a different exit plan. And then I started going to school in Long Beach. I paid for my school with the, uh, the GI Bill. 
uh, went to Long Beach State, went to DeVry. Uh, I stayed in computers and I had the property and I was kind of, you know, just taking a chance uh, of buying then. And then when I got out, you know, I had my licensing. I got a job as a junior developer working for an insurance company. And of course, we we're around mutual funds, stocks, and I seen the returns that they, they were giving wealthy individuals, you know, five, 10%. Well, then, you know, I started trading on my own and I was making 10, 20% a week. And I thought that why these guys are paying these guys and giving them a million dollars and they're getting a 10% return on a year when I'm doing 10 or 20% in a week. And so that made me look at the stock market a little bit different. And then I found another mentor. He was in real estate and he was flipping properties. And he was like, you know, I, he, he started developing his own developments. I was like, bro, like, what do you do? I, I want to do what you do. He's like, I just do the stock market and I do real estate development. And so I was like, well, why don't you just flip property? He's like, why wait seven, seven years to get a, a seven or 10% return, return on your money, but I can do it in the stock market in a day sometime or a month sometime, you know, a year, worst case scenario. So, you know, I had this real estate. I bought, bought, bought. I moved to Arizona. I met another mentor. I, I paid him. He told me he would teach me everything he knew if I gave him 50% of everything I made. <laughs> and I was like, I thought, you know, Bro, are you trying to get over on me? Like 50% of everything? I just left the military. I'm not going to give you 50% of everything I make. He was like, how much are you making right now? It's like, well, 120000 He was like, well, if you made five hundred, you wouldn't give me half? And the first year, I did make 500000 with him. And so he doubled my income. And then the next year, I made a million. You know, and then I was like, hey, let's renegotiate. And he's like, he's like, I don't negotiate. He's like, if you want to work with me and be partners, it's 50-50. He's like, eventually, you're going to leave me anyways. So my time is worth 50% of your income. And then, you know, the second year I did leave him and then we became equal partners, but he got me into the stock market. I learned a lot. Uh, and then from there, I became a stock trader. I started trading for stocks, ETFs, futures. And I did that for five years from 2009 to like 2015. 2015, I seen crypto and I, I, I kind of think I missed out on the internet boom. And I seen the technology, I seen the finance. And, you know, it's kind of like the Marine thing, go first, you know, like right. the risk versus reward. And I was like, I, I think, you know, also believed in being free, right. And being economically um, in the securities world, you got to get licensing, right. As a financial analyst or a planner, or if you want to be a real stock trader, you have to get licensed. If you're a day trader or, or a trader on your own, you trade your own money, you don't have to get a license. It's open to everyone. You know, anyone right now can download Robinhood and they can start trading stocks. Anyone right now can download Coinbase and start buying Bitcoin. So one of the main things is no one has never came to your front door and told you what you couldn't do. No one has kicked in the Marines door to say, hey, you know what? You can't invest. You can't learn. You can't open this book. And so a lot of the limitations we place on ourselves, we place them on ourselves. No one's stopping us from saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to, I want to make more money. I want to make a hundred thousand or a million dollars a year. Like nothing is stopping us besides us. And that's what I've learned through the years is even with crypto, there's nothing stopping anyone from learning about it. It's just, that I don't, they don't know. And they, and they're either not in the right environment or no one has told them to go learn it. And so it's kind of been my quest to educate guys. I have a lot of retired military guys that come join the mastermind. And it's really, what is a mastermind? It's when two people put their head together, they create a third mind that has infinite possibilities. Your mind is yours. This guy's is. You put your ideas together 
And now the possibilities are unlimited. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit. Do you think it's wise to jump in the stock market or would you steer someone more towards, you know, Bitcoin? What, what would someone in today's environment, where should, where would you direct them? Uh, I mean, today's environment is you have an advantage jumping into crypto. Okay. You have no advantage jumping in the stock market and you have no advantage jumping in anything if you don't get educated first. It's like the Marine Corps. They don't let you get a gun first before you go through boot camp, <laughs> right? So nobody goes to become a Marine or a soldier without getting training. Right. And I think a lot of people, they look at the financial markets and they want to jump in and make money without getting properly educated, you know, and not having a mentor or coach or someone that they can, you know, have you watch out for the pitfalls. There's a lot of pitfalls in the financial markets. Most people aren't aware of them because they try to do them themselves. Right. You know, everyone, you know, hear about this self-made, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's self-made. You have parents, you have coaches, you have people that kind of teach you. And if you don't get taught, it's like, it's hard to build a plan if, and fly one if you've never been taught how to do it. And where would somebody go? I mean, if someone was starting off, let's say they're starting zero and have no knowledge, where would you direct somebody to go to, to kind of get that education that, that you're talking um, about? Like, where's a good uh, place to start? To me, it's, um, I mean, I don't think you should go to one source. You should have, like, you know, for me, I, I tell guys, join a community, join a chat room, join a, join where you can get multiple people that you can ask questions. So if, you, if you're only getting your information from me, that's only one source and I can lead you right or wrong, right? Depending on how, how well I am or what's my reputation. For me, I mean, I created a network, uh, a, a group of traders that is open to everyone to come in and this is where they can first just ask the question. You know, a lot of people don't, they don't know what questions to ask because they've never been exposed to it. So first of all, is get, getting the environment. It, it's almost like I tell guys, you know, I'm gonna entertain you guys. You can't go to jail and ask the guys how to get out of jail when you're in there and everybody's in jail. <laughs> yeah. You know, like everyone's in the same environment. You have to get outside your environment to get the information. So you have to go where they are. You know, if you're new and you want to learn about finances, go down to a financial district area and make friends with people in the finance and say, hey, where else, where are your friends hanging? And so now you can ask intelligent questions of like, hey, what is the best thing? So this podcast is excellent. It's a starting point. You know, you've, you're introducing me to an audience that maybe they've never been exposed to crypto or a trader. Uh, and that's, that's exactly our goal. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of targeting those people that they know they want to make a change, but they don't necessarily know how to take those, those first steps. So that, that's exactly what we, we preach all the time. And it's, I really like what you said about just surrounding yourself with the right people. And it, right. what you said earlier really struck me is, you know, you noticed when you were taking the BART train, like you were kind of inadvertently in that environment of people that were doing something that you wanted to do and you just happened to pick up on it. Right. I, that's huge. And I think that's a lot more important than people realize is that you, like we've said it before, you put yourself in that environment. It's like in that you give yourself something to strive towards. And just like you said, you know, if you see someone, you strike up a conversation, you know, it's, it's right. it comes down to networking. It comes down to putting yourself yeah. out there, putting yourself in play. You know? they, they weren't going to walk up to me and say, hey, hey, kid, you want me to change your life? Come over here with us. Exactly. So, I mean, I had, I, had to, I had to go down to the recruiter office to find the Marine Corps. I had to go apply for a job to find a job. You know, it, it, it's at some point you take responsibility like, hey, if I want to learn about finances, I have to put myself in that environment. And sometimes it's not going to be free. You know, no one's going to give me their free time to make me rich. So I had to give up 50% of everything I made for a guy to give me his his, his plan for me to get training in the Marine Corps and, and the GI Bill and a VA loan, I had to give up my time. 
and they had to be willing to sacrifice something. What do you think your early success had to do in shaping all of this? Because sometimes I think just getting a taste of it, so your early success in real estate kind of fueled the fire for this is possible. The best test that I had was being a bad Marine when I went in the Marine Corps, and they wanted to separate me from the rest of the Marines, and they put me around all the gunny sergeants and the staff sergeants, so I wouldn't influence them. <laughs> so that that was the, I mean, that was the change is, is I realized early that was my first success is that I didn't conform to what everyone else is doing as a Marine. And so they separated me for the rest of the Marines and put me in an environment where I couldn't influence anyone. What happened? I got to know what, what'd you do? <laughs> um, just, you know, I, I got, I got to the, I got to the unit, uh, HMH four, six, five. I rolled through the gate. I'm blasting my music. I walk up, uh, some of the, some of the guys that were there, they're from California. I'm from California. I go into barracks. All of a sudden, you know, some of the guys I, I was in boot camp with, they knew I was from here. They're like, hey, where the party at? Like, let's go. <laughs> so some of the young Marines, privates, PFCs come to me and a Lance cor or a corporal that was on duty for the barracks and came and say, hey, you guys need to disperse. It's Sunday night. You know, it's, it's, it's time to go in the room. And of course, me being from Oakland, coming in this area, I was like, bro, like, fuck you, bro. I'm a grown man. Like, even though I went through the boot camp, I was still kind of belligerent. Like, I'm from here. and we, we, I'm out of uniform. I'm in personal uniform. I'm sagging, still got the Oakland mentality of respect me, right? And I, I think he respected me. And it was just something that from the neighborhood, that's kind of like, you show guys respect. And even though, you know, I'm, I'm 20 or, you know, 18, 19, I felt he disrespected me. And then the other Marines were like, yeah, man, fuck off. And they were like, I got called with the uh, staff sergeant, called me in, he's like, what's your problem? And he was, he was, a, he was actually a black sergeant major. He kind of understood, like, my take. I was like, bro, I just got here. I don't even know the guy. He walks up to me. He's in this, uh, he was transitioning. So he had his regular clothes on too. And so to me, it was like, we're not in uniform. You're coming at me like disrespectful. And then from that point, they were like, all right. They put me in the eight admin. I talked to some of the guys there. And then all of a sudden they were like, hey, we're going to move you over to another shop. <laughs> and they moved me over to another shop. And of course, I'm cleaning up the trash. You know, I had to, I had to do this. But the older Marines were like, hey, bro, if you want to have a career here, this is how you're going to uh, function. He's like, yeah, you know, and, and you're the lowest guy on the totem pole. And they just, they kind of just told me respectfully, like, look, bro, th this is how the Marine Corps works. You know, you come in and then, of course, the other Marines are like, you know, hey, bro, like, when you go out, I want to go out with you. Because back then there was like Snoop Dogg's on the radio, the Bloods and Crips and, and the Marines, they, they're excited. They want to know, like, hey, what's the other side like? You know, it put me in a good position because I got to be around all the older Marines, learn how the Marine Corps worked, uh, you know, know that these guys were still just men. I never had mentorship, right? Because my mom was always working. My dad was never home. So I never had a role model. I never had no one to show me that, hey, outside the regular world, this is how it works. So the Marine Corps was a, a blessing for me because then it let me know that, hey, this is how we operate. <laughs> and this is how the real world operates. And so I met another guy. He you know, always had the interest like, hey, I want to do the new thing. Or, hey, this guy has money. You guys don't have money. I want to see what he knows. And that's how I met the guy. And then he says, hey, come out, come out to my office. I went to his office. Said, Let's go look at some of these condos. And I was always open. Talking about real estate for a second. Would you advise someone to still consider real estate today? Or what's your take on the market currently? Uh, I just bought two houses. Okay. <laughs> I, bought, I bought one in Temecula. I have one in Wyoming. I, I, I don't believe, like, so the, the problem I have with banks and I have with, you know, depositing money somewhere. It's like we, we sacrifice our life or we sacrifice time away from our family. We do a lot of sacrifices to give our money to some some third party 
that makes money off of it and then loans it back to us. And so I feel that's not responsible to not know about something, to not open a book, to not have responsibility. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I have two kids that look up to me. Why do I give my money to someone else to hold it for me? Like, I don't, I feel secure enough to hold it myself or learn about it. And so I buy property because I want to leave it for my kids and I own crypto because I actually want to control all my money. I don't, I don't want a third party to have it, you know, still with a little bit of belligerence, right? The IRS frees all my accounts. I'm still fine. I still got crypto, right. <laughs> you know, they, they, they have the property. I own the property. You know, I'm not renting. It's mine. But if my kids don't pay taxes on it, they can lose it all. But I own it. So it's, it's, it's the act of wanting to own and have ownership. So I, I do recommend 100% real estate. I don't really recommend gold. But even though you own the gold, I just feel you can't move around with it. So if you can't move around with gold, I might as well just put it in real estate. Because I can't move around with a house either. Right. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> That's, That's a perfect segue for cryptocurrency talking right. about government and third party control of assets. Can you right. talk about why that, you know, I, I think you laid out a perfect roadmap for what drew you to cryptocurrency. Can you talk about why right. that, you know, attracts you? So, I mean, the, one of the attractions was it was nothing stopping us from day trading or trading, but if you, you trade so much or you get a job, you have to have licensing. And so day trading, you can day trade anything and you can trade for crypto. It was more of a, you know, once I started learning and I was around the environment and community, I realized that the crypto guys, they were different. They were free. They relied on each other, sort of like in the Marine Corps, how we rely on other Marines. They rely on, it's a peer-to-peer -peer transaction. There's no third party that we have to go through to do a transaction. Anyone that has a phone can send crypto back and forth. Uh, when you understand money, money is a new concept because before money, it was a barter system. You know, if you grew some oranges, and I had some fur over here. We just met in the middle and we traded. Well, I think it's, you know, I think you need to give me a hundred oranges and give me two covers or, or two furs and we trade. That's how society was before governments took control. Once governments took control, the Roman empire, they created money and they says, Hey, here's a coin. It's worth $1 and it's backed by our army and it's backed by that. Hey, we're going to take care of you. And so the same thing, the United States dollar is backed by, the faith of the U.S. government is not backed by gold. It's not backed by, it's backed that, hey, we believe that the government says it's worth $1 and it's worth $1. But in other countries, if their government is weak, their money becomes weak, right? And you can go to Tanzania or Zimbabwe right now. You can walk around with a $100 trillion bill in your pocket and you can't buy a loaf of bread because no one has faith in the government. In Venezuela, you can go there and you can have their money, but no one has faith in the government. So the money doesn't have that much value. You know, being in the United States, knowing that if something happens and they don't like what I do or uh, if I'm not free, if I go trade without a license or drive my car without a license, they can freeze your accounts or you can be sued and your money can be tied up because it's in the bank or your credit cards can be shut off. I had a Facebook account in 2017. They had 50,000 50, people that were following me. And one day they said, hey, you know what, Facebook, we're not allowing crypto anymore. And they shut it off, right? Because I didn't own the platform. I'm on their platform. It's their rules. Crypto gave me an opportunity to have another alternative currency. I still can have dollars, but now I have another alternative currency and they can't shut it off. No one can tell me that, hey, your currency isn't worth anything anymore. Because now the people around me, they're saying, hey, Bitcoin is worth 10000 Or they're saying Bitcoin is worth 9000 
So it takes the entire world to tell me that, hey, my money is not worth anything. And now it's backed by people. That's it. Just real quick, you mentioned Facebook shut you down. Do you think that had anything to do with them investigating their own cryptocurrency? You think that was related? Uh, no, it's corporate. It's, it's corporate. You know, it, it, they have other interests. One, it could be their own interests. Two, it could be like the government could say, hey, you know what? This is not a real currency. Shut it down. They're politicking, saying, hey, we're not ready for this yet. Slow down. Don't allow cryptocurrency. A business is in it to make money. So why would they shut it down? Facebook, you know, the reason why they don't have their own currency is because it's in direct competition with the U.S. dollar, right? If you have a billion users and they start using your money and your currency electronically and they have so many users, Facebook coin is direct competition with U.S. dollar, right? Because now it's like, well, why use I can, you go to Walmart and Target, they're open. But then they shut down the mom and pop stores. How does Walmart get to stay open and Target gets to stay open? COVID is not there. COVID is not in Walmart and Target, but yeah. it's in the mom and pops. So there's an attack on the 80%, right? And so the, so the corporate, the 20% has, has the power to stop the majority unless the majority wakes up. And I think with crypto, guys are starting to wake up. Can you talk about what I'm kind of confused about? And I'm, I did a bunch of reading before this podcast, but can you clear <laughs> it up, Wave Tops? When people talk about investing in cryptocurrency, so it's almost like, there's two trains of thought. There's what you're talking about, the freedom that it provides because there's not some government control, some government just printing money and the right. people determine the value. But it also seems like a mechanism where you're investing in the appreciation of this thing. Can you, when you talk about investing in cryptocurrency in right. layman terms, what does that mean to you? So, you know, traditionally, if I have $100 and I give you 50, Stuart, and I give, I give you 25, Brian, I had 100 bucks. So I gave away 75% of my wealth, right? And I just gave it to you. And I said, hey, you know what? Here's a hundred bucks. I'm gonna give you 50, I give you 25, I give it away. In crypto, if I had a hundred dollars in Bitcoin and I give you 50%, I give you 25% and I still have 25%. As more people adopt it, it becomes more valuable. Now that, that the money that I gave away is gone, but for me to give it to you and you use it, it makes it more valuable. So this is like a, a wealth generation that, I can give away knowledge. I can share my wealth with you and it makes the whole ecosystem more valuable. And I didn't give it all away. And so that's a hard concept for people to, to think about is that as more people come into crypto, it makes the crypto ecosystem more valuable because now you have mass users coming in. And that, correct me if I'm wrong, but that wealth, the value of a crypto coin is based on the idea that there are only a certain amount that can be in circulation, correct? You know exactly how much is in circulation. Okay. And so 21 million is only going to ever be created. And so the demand for crypto is going to go up and the value goes up with demand. It's, it's general economics, you know, supply and demand. Is that 21 million per cryptocurrency or is that specific to like Bitcoin? Because there's so many out there in the market. Go ahead. There's over 6,500 cryptocurrencies now. And Bitcoin is just the, the king crypto right, you know, king crypto right now. It is the, it's the brand. So Brian, you can create a cryptocurrency. Stuart, right. you can create one, but there may not be any demand for it. So it never gets over a dollar or it never gets over a penny because nobody's trading. If you, you, we, we all had a freedom to create our own money and create our own cryptocurrency, but who's going to, who wants it? And if no one wants it, then it's like, it's not worth anything. And that is like true. That's true money. You know, if we go to a, a place in the Pacific Island, there they didn't have money. They had rye stones. So they would trade stones 
and says, hey, you know, we'll give you this stone. That means that they had riches because in their island, the stone was valuable. Another island, coconuts may have been valuable. You know, you go to the Middle East, they trade 40 cows for their, for their daughter. <laughs> you know, it's like everyone has establishes what's valuable to them. So where does the 21 million number come from? What is that tied to specifically? Uh, it's tied to the blockchain. So think of the blockchain as internet technology. Think of it as a hard drive. And each cryptocurrency has a hard drive. And once you use up all the space and the memory, that is it. There's okay. no more space that can be made from that one gig hard drive. So look at Bitcoin as a 21 gig hard drive. Once all the data is used, they spit all the Bitcoins out. You can't put any more on that blockchain. So each cryptocurrency has its own blockchain. Are they all, can they come in different sizes too? They come in different sizes. Got it. So the creator of technology creates a different blockchain. Now, are all the uh, currencies, are they all based on the same technology? Is there, because I know Bitcoin is the kind of the brand name. So look at the blockchain, consider it like the internet. Who okay. owns the internet? Well, everybody. Al Gore. Al Gore. Hey, he may have invented it, but he doesn't own it. <laughs> so everyone makes up the internet and that is the technology. So the blockchain, you know, the blockchain, everyone has access to it. And a asset on the internet is like a website, like Facebook. CNN, any website that's built, it's built on the internet technology, but it's built as part of that ecosystem. The blockchain, anyone can create a crypto, but it all runs on the blockchain. So the blockchain is technology, the cryptocurrency is an asset. And certain assets you can invest in. No difference that you can invest in Amazon when it was young. You could invest it in Facebook when it was young or Netflix. So it's almost like stocks that you can invest, cryptocurrency technology that can then appreciate. So we're in the beginning stages of a new technology that you can invest in, and it's called cryptocurrency. Is there a move to centralize all the blockchains, um, like a conversion rate, so a dollar to a peso, a Bitcoin to a whatever the competitor is? Like, Is there an exchange system? Is there a move to centralize all this? How do you see this playing um, out over the next 20 years? There's a thing called stablecoin. And so right now they have a digital dollar project.org. They're looking to centralize, you know, the dollar is centralized, right? It's created by the Federal Reserve, it's printed out. They're looking to digitize the dollar. So your currency that you have now, one day you may wake up. Same way that we woke up and we weren't able to leave out the house without a mask. Maybe one day in the future you won't, you'll be able to wake up and you won't be able to get cash out of the bank. You'll get a digital wallet that has your balance. So in the future, things are changing and we're not in the future. We're, we're in the middle of a change right now. You know, like you go to stores now and when have you ever been alive? And it says, we don't have any more coins. We have a coin shortage. Coin shortage, where? I didn't throw away any white coins. Where's the coin shortage coming from? Yeah, is, that's bizarre. Do you have any insight on that? Do you have any? Yeah, it, we're going through a, 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 a transition period. What happened to your, what happened to checks? And <laughs> what happened to, I mean, it, it's happening right now. You know, now we're all on, you know, B's and debit cards, right? And now some places you can go and just pass your phone through and it, it rings. They have stores here in California where you walk in and you can walk out based right. on your phone and you don't go through a cash register. We have people that now in Walmart, you don't, you have cashless Walmarts right. or um, no tellers, right? You have banks with no tellers. So we're moving to an electronic society where your banks may not even hand you cash anymore. They'll just put money onto your phone. Why do we need yeah. banks? Yeah, exactly. I, I guess I, my question though is those are two different arguments 
So the digitalizing of the dollar, so like, let's say paper money went away, but if it's still the American dollar, the government can still produce more electronic dollars. The difference yeah. to me is the cryptocurrency in a blockchain is a fixed amount controlled by the people and not the government. Am I right on that? Right, right. So that's exactly right. They can continue to print as much digital dollars as they want. And so how, so how does how does cryptocurrency replace that? I mean, the, the dollar going digital is different than the cryptocurrency being accepted by a government. So it's almost two separate issues. Right. So digital dollars, people people will want the digital dollar because the price doesn't change. Right. If if you buy crypto and the price goes up and down and you thought you had a thousand dollars on Friday or Monday and then Friday is seven hundred or it's twelve hundred, you know, people aren't going to accept that because that's a form of investing, right? The, the price doesn't stay the same. On a digital dollar, it stays the same. It's worth the dollar because the government said it. If they're issuing a digital dollar and it's centralized, they can just hit a button and freeze everything, right? And they know exactly where all your money is being spent. Whereas right now with cash, if I give you 100000 and you walk around the corner, the government doesn't know where that money went, right? So that is a, a form of control to digitize the money. And now with cryptocurrency, you know, if everyone can have it and it's not centralized, that means that it's, it's really a free currency. No country can stop it. No government can say, hey, you know what? In China, it was banned. Uh, in India, it was banned. But it didn't mean the Indians stopped having it. It didn't mean Chinese didn't have it. It was like they were free to still transact. In Nigeria, crypto is banned, but the people are still having it. So it takes a little bit more power back from government control. You know, if... If they said, hey, you know what, Brian, you have to get vaccinations or we're not going to release your funds and you and your family has to get vaccination or we won't allow you to buy or sell anything. What are you going to do? Do you have a choice? No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you get vaccinated. Right. And, and if you're a Marine, it's like, hey, we signed up to we signed up for that. But if you're American, you didn't sign up to be forced. No, I see that. I guess my, my question is, you know, since digital currencies are digital, if the United States or whomever decided to ban it, right? Let's say the United States said tomorrow. Yeah, it's exactly my question. That's right. exactly my question. Go, go ahead. If the United States banned, just say Bitcoin, for example, right? If they said tomorrow, we're not going to honor Bitcoin, and then they're going to tell all the retailers, you're not allowed to accept Bitcoin. Isn't that kind of the same thing as, as a digital US dollar? I mean, how, how would someone get around their country you know, banning it? Because ultimately, the, the government has a lot of control over the internet. And if the government really decides to shut down the internet and commerce, they could. I mean, I realize it's unlikely and difficult, right. but that to me seems like a possibility. Yeah, they would just join DCG because we're not falling for it. We have our own network. <laughs> All right. And that, that's and that, true. That's, they could legislate and prevent vendors and credit card companies and apps and everything from accepting the, you know, the, the Bitcoin purse wallet. Uh, if they made that illegal, I'm not saying you wouldn't have a person to person transaction but it would significantly stop the different blockchains of the cryptocurrency technology. A thousand percent. It's the same way that they, they've made it hard for people to have guns. And if, yeah. if, they, told, if they told all Americans, turn in all your guns, guns are illegal here, if, if people are going to comply and some people aren't going to comply. No, I'm on the side yeah. of, yeah. I was the religion Marine that I'm not giving up the guns. <laughs> I'm not giving up my freedom, right? So Americans stay over their dead body, but how many are really willing to go that far. Most people are going to comply. And if they, but they haven't banned it and they won't ban it. The government doesn't want to stop you from making money. They just want you to comply. So they want you to pay your taxes. That's the biggest part with crypto is how do they get their taxes when 
In Japan, 98% of the people pay their taxes on their crypto. In America, they had like 500 people said they had crypto two years ago. <laughs> you know, so that is the main source of concern is they don't they don't want to stop you from moving around. They just want you to comply and, and pay your taxes. So how do they tax Bitcoin? Yeah. The same way they tax stocks, capital gains. So as it appreciates, they tax it or do they tax it as it's Anytime exchanged? You move it to your bank account. Okay. So whatever comes to your bank, because when you get audited by the IRS, what do they do? They, they subpoena your bank account and says, give me all the transactions. And now you have to prove which ones are expenses. But every deposit that you come in your bank account is considered a income until you prove differently. So what you're saying is if you, if you owned, let's just say, $100,000 in, in Bitcoin, and then you were to cash it out per se, and then that money comes into your account, that's what you're saying, that's how they would, they would track it? That's, that's how you pay taxes on it. Interesting. Okay. But that, that doesn't exist right now, right? There's no taxation on it. No, it's taxation. Yeah, you, yeah, if you have crypto, yours, and we're on a podcast, you, you I'm telling everyone, pay your taxes and be in compliance. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Right. Everyone pay your taxes. You have a duty as an American to pay your taxes. No, I, but the, my serious question is like, if you keep it in just crypto right now and, and I send you crypto, you send me crypto, there's no taxation. It's only when it, it goes from dollars to crypto, right? Right. But I mean, there's, it's on a system, right? And if I, I sell you something in crypto and, and you tell me, and I'm able to I have gains, they won't really know until you move it into your bank account. But yeah, you're, you're supposed to report all your income. I mean, come right. on. All right. So, I mean, that's, that's up to your tax account and however you guys work that out. I got you. All right. <laughs> I think my concern, and I think we're kind of touching on it, but, you know, I, I think where I, people that are afraid of Bitcoin, I think they would hear a conversation. They would say, well, eventually the government's going to catch on to that. Because I, just as an example, California is trying to pass a law where they're going to tax California residents for 10 years after they leave the state. So if California is going to go that far, it's not out of the question that they would restrict Bitcoin. And I think the way that they would do it is just to say, hey, Target, Amazon, you know, Dell Computer, whatever. If you accept Bitcoin, we're going to come after you. So I, mean, I think that's the concern that a lot of people have. So is that, it seems yeah, to I'll, me I'll offer up, so Jamal, I've got a, a small company. It's called The Perfect Ribbon. And it's a Shopify platform. Right. And Shopify actually just in November started allowing Bitcoin payments for merchandise. So this is, you know, a recent development in the last right. seven, eight months where right. this huge web hosting platform now allows Bitcoin for payment. And it's this very nebulous thing. So my partner and I were actually just talking about it this spring. Like, is this like, how would this work? How, how would we do this? I thought I was really excited to have you on the podcast because to, to Brian's question, it's within the last nine months, major vendors allowing right. it. And I don't think it's caught up with the IRS. So I understand right now as a, as a business, if I accept the Bitcoin payment, Bitcoin to Bitcoin, and I transfer that into dollars, now I'm paying taxes. But honestly, my understanding, and I, don't, I haven't done any uh, business transactions on it yet, but if I just kept it in Bitcoin, I'm not necessarily paying taxes on it. And that's why I think right. there's a general misunderstanding on it. So I, I do a lot of consulting and helping other business guys. And I work with a lot of high, a lot of high net worth individuals. So what does this 20% do? They target, they, they give the the 1% a break for monitoring the other 80%. So the only reason Shopify is allowing Bitcoin is so they can help monitor and tell the IRS how much you're collecting the Bitcoin. Because <laughs> otherwise, you can just pull out your phone and be like, here's the barcode, send it here, right? Yeah. 
So the only reason Shopify is accepting Bitcoin so they can track what wallets are coming to you, how much Bitcoin you have for the government. Peer to peer, I would just pull out my phone and say, hey, here's my barcode, send it here. Why would Shopify do that? What's in it for Shopify? Shopify should be, in my opinion, protecting me, the business owner. Like, Why would they advocate for trying to monitor, though? Uh, well, no, because then where do the payments go? If, if Shopify is collecting payments on your behalf, who gets the money? I mean, I do. Yeah, after they give it to you or after they accumulate enough and they can use flash loans and they can, when you deposit money in the bank, who owns the money? I get, I get, I get the point you're making. Shopify yeah. definitely is holding yeah. my money until it is pushed to me. Until it pushed to you, right? So they're collecting $10 million and they make 1% on interest overnight on that money. They just made like 100000 for collecting yeah. your money for you. And they charge you a fee to collect the Bitcoin and took a little bit of Bitcoin from you. Because you may pay a, a one a half a percent transaction fee uh, on Bitcoin because they, they had to hold your Bitcoin for you and, and for that record. And now you know what you sold. And that's, and I get that. And they, right. they do make money. I mean, I acknowledge that, but that's different than them do like, there's a motive of making money, which I understand and I appreciate. So, then there's a the motive of setting it up just to track me, which is something that seems nefarious. So Coinbase, right. You get your money off of coin, you get Bitcoin off of Coinbase. Well, IRS, you know, subpoena and said, hey, Coinbase, give me everybody, every user that had more than 20,000 crypto. And then what did Coinbase do? Oh, we don't want no problems. Here's all the records, right? And now all the people that didn't file taxes, hey, IRS, send, send a letter to these guys. This is how much they had in their account. Now let us still operate and get our fees. And now you go, you know, you can go out of those guys, right? So, hey, I don't know. I don't know how many businesses are out of there actually account for every last penny that comes into their business account. And every last expense. But now, hey, Shopify, your IRS, here's all the guys that get Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, we're in compliance. We collected every transaction. Here's what they've made. Here you go. Here's a data feed. They send a data feed to IRS. You get an automated letter. You've accepted Bitcoin. Hey, on this form that just came out in 2020, and, it, and the first question it says, hey, have you ever accepted Bitcoin? You said no. Shopify just says yes. We're going to audit you. We need our money. Is that question on the form? I don't even know. The first form now. First question. Do you accept virtual currency? Do you have any? Huh. So for your taxes this year, that's the first question to ask now. Because this is a real currency. This is real. It's happening. It's, it's conversion. They want to know every person that has Bitcoin now. So now, with the way Bitcoin is created, there are a, there are a fixed number of coins in circulation. So conceivably, could someone backtrack and say, okay, we know that there are I'm just going to pick a number. There are 10 million coins in circulation. I'm not using the right terminology, I know, but maybe the serial number of the coin is say, okay, we know this person has this. We know they have this. You don't this. know the person, but you know the electronic device that is holding it because every transaction is on that wallet. Okay. And so, you know, it's like the wallet stops, right? Hey, you sent the transaction. Even if you send it to a wrong address, you're the last person to send it. So it's just like a bullet, right? It comes out of a barrel. Every barrel has this unique right. ID we can match the bullet to the gun. Well, you're sitting here saying it's anti-government now. I feel like you're saying the government <laughs> would love this because they could track they this it. stuff anywhere. Right. They, they would love it. You have to be smart. You would have to be a criminal to think of ways to not be tracked. Most people aren't going to think that way. All the transactions that the government just had a notice went out. Every terrorist has ever used crypto haven't been caught because they haven't, they thought it was anonymous and it wasn't. Every transaction is on a blockchain. Who controls yeah. the blockchain? It's technology. It's, it's, no one controls it. 
so it's, it's so open source. So like Bitcoin, who who started it? Nobody knows. It, I mean, now you're getting into new world order stuff, and I don't want to sound crazy, <laughs> but maybe the government started it because, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's a tracking mechanism, but I mean, I was it, just gonna say that <laughs> it, it came out where it's like, hey, it's a new currency and, and it's getting popular. The government owns a lot of Bitcoin. The government was buying it in on March when COVID came out. They were buying it. Naka um, Satoshi, right? There's a phantom person that's never been physically identified. I mean, he he supposedly exists, but no one knows who he is. He doesn't want to take credit for it. You know, it's an ecosystem that's spinning with no creator. You know, we know who created it, but no one has never talked to him. Hmm. You know, that's he vanished after he created this beautiful monetary policy. That's interesting. Yeah, that's piqued my curiosity. Right, right. So like, <laughs> my thing is, whatever is happening, you can't stop it, but you can't profit from it. And so that's my take on it is like, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I'm educated and I, I go deep down the rabbit hole. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, my responsibility is to my family. And this is a, a way to generate remote income. Uh, I, if I wanted to not be found, I, I could. Like, you know, like, the transactions, there is ways that you can hide your identity, right? And hide your wallet. So, you know, we talk all, talk about that inside our mastermind group. <laughs> Everything is legal. Of course, of course. Right. Everything. Do you see, you see a world where Bitcoin is ever kind of like the standard, you know, world currency where that's just kind of, maybe the Bitcoin replaces the U.S. dollar? No, nah, never. Happening? I don't see a powerhouse ever allowing their currency to be replaced by something else. Okay. I, I see allowing it to coexist for the rich, right? Okay. So I do feel Bitcoin will be, how many pieces of art that you have that's worth more than a million dollars? Uh, let me think. Um, yeah, zero. on one hand, yeah, zero. <laughs> right, right. So so 80% of the population out there don't trade fine art. Uh, they don't have precious metals. And I feel like Bitcoin is going to be like a fine art, a precious metal, a rare jewel that only the rich have. I'm talking to an expert, so I know Bitcoin. I think everyone knows or has heard the, the term Bitcoin. But what are some up-and-coming cryptocurrencies that the SME would recommend we look at or, or learn more about? Uh, Chainlink, uh, Ethereum. Uh, Chainlink and Ethereum is the two that you must have if you, if you don't, if you have outside of Bitcoin. Once you buy Bitcoin, you have to buy Ethereum. You have to buy Chainlink, uh, like Bitcoin Cash. Uh, there's there's some other I mean there's a lot of coins that are out there they're all speculation privately I, I can name coins that I like which is Ethereum Link um, XCZ which is Tezos you know there I mean I own a lot of coins and I hold them and this month I've probably made over 400 percent on SNX and Link by by themselves so you're so you're just tracking the value of these coins mine them low selling them when they get to a certain point is that what you're doing basically. Uh, I'll trade, I'll buy a coin, it doubles, I'll sell half of it to get my initial investment back. And I just accumulate the wealth at that point. Once it doubles, I sell half and I keep the rest and I never touch it again. Do you think some of these coins are better suited to a long-term investment and that you just buy them and hold them and wait for years? Or do you think it's better to, to kind of keep a more active approach to them? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's smart. I mean, I'm a full-time trader. So for me, I'm, I, I trade them in and out active. Okay. Because when, you know, we were down for two years, right? 2018, 2019, crypto kind of went down and it bottomed. And now it's on the upswing of going up. And so I'm holding long, but 
it's always best to be active. You know, this is our livelihood. So, you know, if you have another job and that's your job, you know, you, people go to work every day. So right. it's your money and that's what you're going to work for. You should be active in it, in my opinion. I think a lot of people would agree. They just aren't sure of the steps to take to actually execute that transaction properly. You know, so I think they're a little bit nervous, but I mean, everything you're saying makes sense. Well, you have to ask yourself, why don't they teach financial literacy in school? Why don't they teach you how to trade stocks in first grade? You know, it's not for the, it's not for, we need people to go to work. We need 80% of the population that, to go to public school, to go to college, to get a job. And this is what keeps everyone compliant. You can't have too many free people. If you're growing your own- It won't work if uh, everyone's telling them <laughs> the duty to go fuck themselves. Right, right, right. It, it, it won't work that way. Right. 100%. That story gets it. <laughs> you can't tell your boss to go fuck himself. They don't like that. <laughs> Jamar, can you tell us about your coaching program? All right. So really, you know, I had employees before and I said, I'll never have employees. I've been in the Marine Corps. I call it a mastermind. And it's a, it's a, it's a theory by Napoleon Hill that if you put smart people that think alike and they want the same things, they can figure out anything. Uh, and so what we have is a, a mastermind group that we teach trading, stocks, options, Forex, crypto, and independence. And basically entrepreneurs and traders join. You know, we have one course. I mean, we have multiple courses, but we have one membership. And guys come in, they're, they're exposed to experts and professional traders. And so here you have a guy that doesn't know anything. He comes in a room full of guys that knows pretty much of living the way he wants. And we're teaching classes and the guys are teaching classes are actually doing it or living it or living trading stocks and options. Uh, we have like over five live classes a day. Nothing is a, everything is recorded, but everything is live. And so our thing is you learn more by doing. And so we tell the guy, Hey, when we come in, we don't do fake accounts. Just do lower amounts of money. So when you come in, your tuition is trade with 50 bucks, trade with $10. But you're going to go through the same steps that we go through. If we're trading with 10000 or 100000 you're going to mirror it, and you're going to follow us. Same way in the boot camp, right? Hey, here's how I put the gun together. Here's how you're going to put the gun together. And, you know, you just have less to risk. And so our mastermind group is a – they come in, they go through a boot camp. Then they, go, then they get uh, promoted into the main group. And in that main group, they're able to kind of just follow along while they're still learning, going through the courses. Uh, once you learn crypto, then you can go learn stocks and then you can go learn Forex. And then you learn how we op some of us operate. Some of us don't use the banking. Some people do. Some people have businesses. Uh, you know, I use PayPal more than I use my bank account. So if I do take a payment, it's an electronic payment. Uh, not saying that I don't, I'm totally off of fiat. I still mix it. I mean, if you guys come in to my mastermind, you can pay with your credit card. Or if you want to pay with Bitcoin, you can pay with Bitcoin. But Nothing goes directly into my bank account. That's interesting. So, what's, the, what's the reasoning behind that? If you don't mind me asking this, do you prefer the digital currencies? I just don't like people charging me to have access to something that is mine. <laughs> okay. You know, like it's a concept of we've never been taught that. We put our money into the banks and they don't have our interests. They don't have our best interests in mind. And we're giving them free money to go invest in. Then when we want a loan, they're going to charge us 19% of our own money. The banks didn't have money. That's your money that's in the banks. It's, it's my friend's money in the bank. It's my mom's money in the bank. I see my mom work and break her back for 36 years. And then they put money into the bank. And then when she dies, it's in probate. And only reason that the banks were started is because back when the country was first formed, 
people would get robbed. There was no security. Well, no one is, you know, and that's why you didn't keep cash at your house. You put it in the banks and for protection, it would keep it safe. And then they start charging you fees and then they start loaning it out. Then they won't give you a loan. If I went to a bank and they won't give me a loan, why would I have my money in the bank? Well, I think also too, a lot of people need to realize that most banks are paying 1% interest, maybe. For the whole year. Yeah. And that's- And when you want your money, you have to pay like 35 cents just to use the car. You're spending your own money. Well, and also too, like, I mean, you're right about the fees, but if you, if you really think about it, if you're paying 1% a year in interest in the bank and inflation is 2% or 3%, you're actually losing money just by keeping your money in a safe location. You know, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Well, think about this. You have 40 million people unemployed right now. 40 million people unemployed. How much money do you think those people have in the bank? Almost nothing, probably. And so when they try to get their last piece of food, spend their last $10 and they only have $9 and they spend 10, how much is that overdraft fee? Well, that's like 30 bucks. To a person that already doesn't have money. Yeah. They can cut it off. They can just say, you know what? (laughs) Decline. No, we're going to let you go over and then charge you another 30 bucks. That's predatory. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but the system like almost forces you to use the bank because I can't go into a car dealership and give them $40,000 in cash to go out with my new four-door sedan. They would require a loan or a payment through a bank. I can't believe you're a Marine. Don't let that happen, Marine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're a Marine. They're going to let that happen. You have no choice, Marine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm eating up everything you're saying. So going back to your course. So Stu Scheller wants to join your masterminds group tomorrow. What do I do? Uh, give them a site, dcgmastermind.com. Uh, you can, you have a choice. We have a free version and we have a paid version. The paid version, you get my time. You get everybody else's time. The free version, you just get all the information. The How free much is version the is free. The paid version is 500 a month. And that that's the two options you have. You have A and B. <laughs> and then is, can I do B virtually? Yeah, it's all virtually. Okay. And so every, everything is about being remote. Um, and then when you come in, there's not just crypto. It is networking. It is business. It is like tonight we have orientation at 6 p.m. where you get to meet all the other members and, and they basically on Zoom talk about what they do, what kind of help they need. They're starting a business or have a business. We support our own. It is our own ecosystem. And so, you know, we have over 140 members that basically kind of think and believe the same way and they trade, they own businesses, they own remote businesses and we support each other. I mean, so if you need help on trading, you need help with information, we have a 24 hour chat, we're global. We have guys in Africa, guys in uh, Singapore, people in Europe, it's all over. And it's a network we built of like-minded individuals. And that's why it's called a mastermind. <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. And that's, that's open to anyone at all levels, you know, people that are just starting off. You know, we to- talk to everyone that comes in. I mean, so once you sign up, you know, we, we do have a boot camp, and we just want to make sure that everyone wants the same thing. I mean, we, like, we kicked out a guy that had 200 grand, came in two weeks ago. He was like, hey, just tell me what to trade. Just tell me what to trade. He's like, we're all independent and free. Like, you're not, you're here to learn. And you can see what we're trading, but we want people to actually believe in being free. Right. You know, if you're just going to take a call from someone and he's telling you what to do, you're not taking any responsibility that, hey, if he tells you to buy this and you buy it and it goes down, well, hey, I bought it because he said it. It's like, that's not respons- that's not being, that's not having any ownership. What's no, the time sense. commitment to be in Mastermind? So uh, one know, hour a day. One hour a day? 
one hour a day we want you reading the chats or attend a class you know one hour a day is your commitment i'm gonna join um, jamar just so you know you'll see me in like a week hey <laughs> you're gonna see some other veterans in there as well it's all right we're uh yeah i mean we, we have a lot of guys that are free <laughs> so that'd be awesome yeah i'll be in there too that, that's that sounds incredible i yeah, you need a different That's environment, perfect. you know. We, we know the military life. Uh, some of us never get to experience the entrepreneur life. All right, Jamal, I think we're uh, we're getting low on time, brother. Can all you, right. as we get to the end here, the podcast is all about entrepreneurs and this time in this technology-driven world that we're in. Everyone's got access to Google. Everyone's got access to information. And you really are the choices that you make. And you have nothing owed, but you can go out there and get it if you want it. So a lot of the things that you said were right in line with what we were talking about. It was really interesting to learn about cryptocurrency, but if there was someone listening to this podcast inspired from where you came from in Oakland and how you really just achieved a lot of success through your own hard work and intelligence and the, the right time investing in the right things, what piece of advice would you offer to that aspiring entrepreneur slash investor? I would just tell them that it's never a wrong time to take a chance because you have a lot to lose by not taking anything by not doing anything you know staying in the same spot is risky whether you're in the military you know in life you know you can play it safe and that's that's one thing but the biggest thing you can do is accept responsibility you know you are right where you want to be and if you want to be somewhere else you have to take that responsibility and you have to explore you're not going to win all the time uh but you have to take the chance and you have to move forward you know it's like sitting Marines or, or, or dead Marines. You have to move around and you have to take responsibility for things that are happening to you. And some things are happening for you and you don't want to miss those opportunities. And so that's the biggest thing for entrepreneurs is, you know, if you see the times are changing and it is changing and you're not making any moves, then you have to accept whatever comes down the road, you know, as, Hey, I missed the opportunity or I'm going to take advantage of it. I know where I want to be. If I don't make a move in the next two or three years, I'm going to be in the same spot. So at some point you have to make, you have to take responsibility and says, Hey, do I want to be here? Am I happy where I'm, where I'm at? Or do I want to press? Do I want, do I want to, you know, you go to the gym and you add more weights, you don't get stronger by putting less weights on. So pressure is there to make you grow and to get you bigger and get you stronger. So don't ask for a way out, ask how you can get stronger, how you can get better. How, what can you do to make yourself in a better situation? Those are my parting words. <laughs> Awesome, man. That's perfect. I just want to say thanks, Jamar. It's been great. And I think that's a perfect place to end the show. I, I love everything you said. This has been super informative. So anyone out there that wants to be part of uh, the mastermind, please go talk to Jamar. Set up an account with them. It's been great. Thanks, Jamar. Hey, really man. Thank you guys it. for having me. And, uh, you know, if we, if we help one person move, man, let's move them forward. You know, change lives, man. Make an impact. Thanks, Jamar. All right, All right cool. Yeah, Thank thanks you again. All right, later. All right. That being said, this is the uh, Nothing Owed podcast for Brian and Stu, and we are out for the day. Bye, everybody.